Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The latest tips and equipment to improve your game. The latest from the leaderboards and your favorite courses. This is Golf in the Northwest, an action-packed hour about everything golf. Brought to you on the fan by Laurelhurst Market, more than just your family neighborhood steakhouse. Now with award-winning PGA professional Harold Bluestein, here's your host, Jason Swigard. And a fine good morning to you all. Welcome to <laughs> September. Happy Labor Day weekend to, to everybody. Hope, uh, hope you're safe out there. Can you believe it's September? No. It things have gone so fast this, uh, uh, yeah, this year. Yeah, the the summer. I, I, I mean, it sort of felt like summer vacation started back when the shutdown went on, when we didn't know what was going on. Right. And then things have slowly, gradually, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know what. <laughs> well, it just we got more to do, but we still don't have everything to do, and right. School's starting, but kids aren't going to class. It, it, it's just an odd, odd time. I just don't want to see it start to rain again. That's you know, I just got out of the rainy time. No, 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 no. It's, it's going to be uh, into the 90s here for the better part of the next week to 10 days. Yeah, but I'm talking about putting it off for another month or two. I months. did not see. I've I'd seen like a couple sunshine. of monthly forecasts. I have not seen much rain in all of September. Okay. September is looking good once this little heat wave passes. Then we're going to be mid-70s to low 80s, which is the sweet spot. It has been a very busy summer for golf courses uh, in the Northwest. No question. And if the weather stays good through September and October, we call those the shoulder months. That's when... uh, we make a lot of money, or at least we pay the bills. That's uh, what we're going to hope to do. We're going to pay the bill. We're going to get a couple of help, actually, that you, you know, how all of this play that the courses have received. Now, they haven't had some traditional money makers. I mean, the the restaurants, uh, the beer, the, the alcohol sales weren't going on there for a while when they first started. Some places are still kind of, I don't know how much they're getting from food and beverage. Courses haven't been able to host tournaments, right? That that's a killer, which is a big money maker for them. Yeah, and and in spite of all the efforts you've made to bring up the alcohol sales, it hasn't really uh, uh, translated it across the board. It wasn't me. I'm actually because I'm trying to like now get to a point where of a higher level of consistency than I've enjoyed previously. You may- I find myself drinking far less on the course. There, <laughs> so far, the consistency in golf, not in in alcohol exactly. uh, intake. I got, okay, well, so like five beers instead of ten. No, I rarely, rarely will I have a beer on the course anymore. So, like a cocktail. Uh, yeah, if I'm going to something, I might, I might have a little something out of the birdie bottle, like a wine cooler. On the rare occasion that I make a birdie, Bartles and James. But I have made some birdies <laughs> this summer. No, that's that's that was high school. Red like breast, really good. Yes. Did you take Bartles and James in high school. Uh, the girls did. Oh, sounds like you just said you drank Bartles and James. Well, I said we, the collective we, my generation. <laughs> right, that includes you. Yeah, it I does. did not. He was one of the girls. Hey, what was were a, you drinking in high school? I was a Henry Weinhardt's wild boar kid. We were drinking Ripple. The hell's Ripple? I. Uh, you could see triple if you drink Ripple. Ah. Must be moonshine. Some you'll, sort of you'll have to Google that. You're a little young for, for <laughs> to uh, to know about Ripple, but we uh, wow. You could buy it for a buck and and enjoy the rest of the day. Would Ripple even show up in a Google search? Oh, I guarantee mm-hmm. it will. We'll see. We yeah. seem to stray into the woods already here, and we're about three minutes in. Is that what the <laughs> kids we used to say? I'm getting rippled this weekend. Uh yep. Sure. That's where it came from. All righty. We helped them. Well, we'll help you with some cocktails, maybe later. <laughs> 
anybody listening might need one already. Who knows? Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is we're going to get some help <laughs> trying to assess all of the golf, all the rounds that have been played. Obviously, rounds played is up, certainly in the region. Uh, anecdotally, you've seen it from, you know, inside the industry, the number of rounds and the number of people playing rounds this summer due to the circumstances is way up. Uh, John Last is going to join us at 815. He spent uh, most of his career in in marketing uh, and the business side of golf. Uh, he now heads up uh, an organization called Sports and Leisure Research Group. Recently uh, did a, a survey specifically about golf and uh, kind of where things are all across the country. It's popularity. Why more? Pe- we're trying to find out why more people are more people playing golf or are golfers playing more? Right. Uh, that and then. What's likely to continue as we inch closer back to whatever regular lifestyle we enjoyed before COVID shut everything down and changed everything? As we inch towards that, uh, will golf continue to be as popular amongst people as it has been now, or will it regress to the mean? I'll be interested to get his thoughts on that. Absolutely. We want to know if golf has any staying power. And we know we had a surge uh, that John yeah. will deal with and and explain. But uh, is it a long-term effect, or is it just a shot in the arm? And then the courses themselves, uh, with all of these rounds being played, how are they holding up? Uh, one of the top agronomists uh, who spent nearly four decades doing that for the USGA uh, lives in the Northwest, uh, works out of Gig Harbor, and uh, just uh, you've known him for a while. So yeah. I'm anxious to talk to him. Larry Gilhooley, uh, who recently retired from the USGA, he's consulting now, going to join us uh, in our tip segment and find out what all of this uh, play on these courses is going to mean for operators uh the weather itself this late heat surge we're getting in the northwest specifically how that's going to have to be managed and uh what course operators are going to need to do once the weather obviously daylight goes down weather cools uh whatever happens with school starting back up and parents have to attend to their kids more diligently in whatever fashion will that reduce enough and then once play comes back down a little bit, what will that allow superintendents to be able to do and maintain these courses? Well, and I, he will answer those questions. Larry's very good at that, but also a passion of his is to uh, speed up play, make golf more enjoyable and more inclusive for players. Uh, Consequently, uh, we'll be discussing why are you playing the black tees, the back tees uh, and not a more forward set of tees uh, and and that's an interesting study that he has done and worked with the USGA on for quite some time. And it's the reason why golf is a challenge uh, to bring in new players. Uh, our golf courses, you know, we want to make them longer for the tour, but that's not a good idea for the everyday golfer. No, not at all. So we're anxious to talk to Larry at 830. Uh, the PGA Tour put out its uh, new season schedule that starts next week as soon as the Tour Championship wraps up. 50 official sponsored PGA Tour events. Well, that not all of them are PGA Tour sponsored. There will be six majors in that window with the delays and the rescheduling of the Masters and uh, the U.S. Open. So we'll see how, uh, kind of get a feel for how that's going to play out. And uh, there's an article on ESPN from Bob Herrig. Uh, the PGA Tour is looking to start finding ways to get some fans and galleries back on the course as well. We'll see how that goes too. But uh, plenty to get to. As always, we start by going inside the ropes. It's time for an insider's look at the leaderboards. The latest on all tours, plus local golf events and golf news. This is Inside the Ropes, part of Golf in the Northwest. The LPGA Tour off this week as they prepare for their uh, major, the ANA Inspiration, the former Dinosaur Classic uh, down there in Mission Hills. Oh, uh, it's going to be hot. Did you, have you yeah. read anything about it? It's like 147 out there in the inland or whatever part of 152 I heard. something like that the, uh, so. and they're going to allow caddies to take power carts because they're concerned yeah. about their health i uh, everyone can use carts in a practice round the players have to walk a uh, little extra music there we go that was 
uh, dancing fingers over there in the engineering booth. So, uh, yeah, players will have to walk, and I think that's a real problem. They're they're saying that they bought uh, 1,700 (laughs) towels to put, cooling towels. Uh, I'm curious if we can call or postpone uh, golf because of rain, why can't we do it for heat? Uh, if we have a dangerous situation, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know when, how much daylight they have early. If yeah. they can, how early they can start. Um, and because you're on the West Coast, you'll probably still fit into a, you know, East Coast time window or whatever. At the screw TV at this point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tape yeah. delay it, whatever. But uh, hopefully, yeah, they'll start as absolutely early as as the ladies can you know, allow, go to threesomes and we'll, yep. we'll play threesomes, but hopefully. Instead of 7.30, start at 6.30. Yeah. You can get four or five more groups out. Yep. That's so as soon as there's enough daylight to warrant starting, um, yep. get them going so they uh, stay out of the heat. Austin Ernst, uh, last week in Arkansas, picked up her first win since. Uh, Cambia. Uh, Cambia in 2014, her second tour win. So congratulations to her. Uh, her. On the European tour, uh, an American trying to win for the first time on this tour, John Catlin, who's taken uh, the scenic route trying to get to the PGA Tour, played at uh, New Mexico, spent a year on the Canadian Tour, then went over to the Asian uh, Challenge Tour, got four wins on the Asian Tour, and this is his second season on the European Tour. He is four under par. They are in uh, Valderrama, Spain, Estrella Dom, Andalusia Masters, and he is at four under, the only player in red numbers. Martin Keimer behind him at even par. Jamie Donaldson, the Welshman, at plus one. But, uh, uh, you know, some kids come out like Colin Morikawa and just hit it right away, and other guys have to uh, go find their game all across the world. Well, I think it may come down a little bit, not so much in talent, uh, but in confidence. Um, uh, they may feel as if their game is a little weak and uh, not quite ready for the tour. They don't want to go to Q school or, and fail or to Corn Ferry and sit around, particularly this year when you can't, if you've got conditional uh, uh, priority, you can't get into any events. So instead they go over to Europe, uh, develop those skills, um, and then they come back to the U.S. and and play well. So I think it's a matter of building confidence, building um, skills in all yeah. areas of your game. And the European Tour, though the money's not as good, the experience is good. Experience is good. The courses get better all the time. Uh, the quality of competition is is as good as you'll find outside the PGA Tour. Right. Uh, the PGA Tour, the final thirty in the FedEx Cup points list. Uh, Sorting out who wins millions of dollars. Dustin Johnson, John Rahm at 13 under par. Now, remember, the points translate into a starting score at the Tour Championship. Dustin Johnson started at 10 under as the leading point getter. John Rahm, who won last week in that uh, unbelievable playoff, uh, he was at 8 under. So they are now tied at 13 under. Justin Thomas at 11 under. Rory McIlroy tied with Abraham Answer. Uh, for the round of the day, a 664. He is at nine under. So your last two groups, Rory and JT in the second to last group, Rom and Dustin Johnson. Uh, this is going to be fun. They, this uh, is a Monday finish for the holiday. So this is round two. And uh, the weather, you couldn't ask for better weather in Atlanta at this point. Mid-70s, humidity is relatively down for that area of the country. So these guys are just going to go after it. Well, after last week, uh, Olympic Fields was very difficult yeah. and, a, and a good uh, a good test prior to going into the U.S. Open. This golf course is like a candy cane. Yeah. They're just going to kill this golf course, uh, even though they're starting at 10 under and uh, Dustin Johnson only picked up two shots yesterday. Um uh, and we can talk more about this in our, our yeah, last will. segment. But uh, this is going to be a real shootout. And if you ever wanted to see the top four players in the world end up at the the top four at the FedEx Cup and the tournament champions uh, or the uh, tour championship, you've got it now. This is this is really going to be a great event going forward. I, I've got a complaint about last week. Um, 
I record a lot of the, you know, Sunday. Yeah. And and I forgot to put the extension in. Oh. Well, it replays on the Golf Channel like yeah, on a loop. Yeah, there's nothing like it. Oh. I mean, it's the moment. No, that's and a that's a you. Here am I. I, I oh, Dustin's gonna win. Oh, oh my God, what happened? And I'm, you know, uh, I lost it. I didn't have the recording, so I had a I had to search the internet. We'll, we'll help you out, out with what... some technology in the break. But when we come back, right. anxious to talk to John Last of. Um, Sports and Leisure Research Group on uh, how this bump in the rounds played during the the COVID period might translate uh, into an industry, the overall industry itself, uh, what course operators need to take notice of and apply going forward. He joins us next. Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. This is Golf in the Northwest, brought to you by Laurelhurst Market. More than just your friendly neighborhood steakhouse. Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. 817 here this morning. Jason Swaggart alongside Harold Bluestein. Glad you are with us as uh, we uh, crank up the golf calendar here in September. Very pleased to have joining us now this morning, uh, the founder and president of Sports and Leisure Research Group, uh, John Last, who uh, before taking up this venture spent a, a good part of his professional career uh developing and managing marketing and retailing uh, uh efforts throughout golf both with the uh, pga of america and with golf digest publications and uh, i was so glad to to get in touch with you uh the other day as i saw the article that appeared on morning read uh, talking about uh, the research that you've done, part of uh, what you're calling the back-to-normal barometer research in, in several different industries, but uh, one specific to golf. Uh, we knew anecdotally uh, golf being one of the few outdoor leisure athletic activities we could do when things kind of closed down for COVID, uh, that there's more rounds being played. But uh, very curious to see, John, as we welcome you in, how that's translating into the industry and what the industry is learning about uh, the players that are out there this summer. Well, great to be here. Thanks for having me, first and foremost. Um, this has certainly been, perhaps for some, a real pleasant surprise because, you know, whether it's on the retail side or the participation and expenditure side, COVID has actually been a really positive, uh, a positive event for the golf industry, as strange as that sounds. Um, as you mentioned, in the research that we've been doing, we are finding that not only among the traditional core and, and, and engaged segments of golfers, but even amongst those who have lapsed from the game or never really gotten into it, this has been an opportunity to discover to discover golf and you know, has certainly begun to sow the, the roots of, of what the industry has been trying to accomplish for so many years in terms of, of, of getting more participation. Uh, at the top level of the research, are you finding that there are – it is golfer people who would be considered avid golfers or regular golfers are playing more versus how many new people or people that left the game are coming back and experiencing it uh, for the first time or again for the first time. So you raise a good point there. It's really elements of both. I, I think you don't want to oversell the fact that there are certainly significant segments of newer or less players coming back into the game, but our research demonstrably shows that the preponderance of the rounds and the spending continue to come from that, you know, 15 to 20% of the market that has historically always driven 80% of that volume, you know, with people having more people working from home and having more leisure time than people had, coupled with the fact that there's such little access to other activities, we are seeing the brunt of it coming from those that have been most engaged. But at the same time, and in talking to a number of OEMs and, and looking at some of the data that's out there, you see box sets, which are traditionally obviously associated with newer players, are at uh, levels that uh, the retailers uh, can't get enough products. So it, 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 at least in the short term, it, it's a very positive sign for golf. The big question, obviously, is going to be how sustainable this is. And it's sustaining it in a demographic uh, is always an issue, and and. And reading uh, some National Golf Foundation findings, they're seeing a surge uh, in the age group of 35 to 49-year-olds, which has oftentimes been a lost generation for golf. 
What is driving that surge? I think what's driving, mean, we're seeing a similar phenomenon. We're, we're even seeing people in a younger age group that are, that are playing now. And I think at least from the short term, what our data continues to, to suggest is that people are seeing golf as, as this unique combination of providing those assurances that people need to feel right about venturing out. It, 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 that, that shouldn't be taken for granted because so many other activities do not fit into that category. Um, it, it's providing health benefits. It's providing social benefits. So I think that that has really spawned a lot of these segments, uh, at least demographically, that may not have played as much in the past. But, but again, where, where we, we really need to kind of look a little deeper, and, and we're planning to do so, is once activities like the movies and indoor dining and bars come back, does this maintain itself amongst those folks? Because some of the, the same foundational issues that we saw back during the Tiger Woods boom you know, 20, 25 years ago, those have not necessarily been rectified everywhere. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to be really critical, at least from a facility operation standpoint, to see if the experience that these players are, are undertaking is really going to be commensurate with something that they want to continue to, to be involved with once the options increase. Well, the Tiger Woods boom was actually to uh, uh, viewership on, on television more so than players, at least from a – uh, a national PGA uh, point of view, we we didn't see a real bump there, um, and for such a long time, play has been driven by weather, and now we're looking at it being driven by the COVID uh, pandemic. Do you see any one re- uh, region of the country doing better than any other region? From the data we've looked at, it's fairly well distributed. Um, I certainly agree that weather, you know, will always be a major determinant. But really what, what our research focuses on so much so is consumer sentiment and where demand comes from and, and really kind of what those key elements are in terms of satisfaction. We've done a lot of tracking research. We did a lot of work a number of years ago in the women's market to really identify those elements, at least of the on-course experience and the facility-specific experience that would be more conducive to their enjoyment and to their, you know, to building share of that customer. And I think a lot of those lessons will probably be things that PGA professionals and facility operators can certainly apply if they want to capture these new tire kickers, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to, to retain them. And, and, and let's not forget, I, I agree, and, and certainly the data supports that during Tiger Surge, it did have a demonstrative impact on viewership, but those were the years when, you know, at least according to participation figures that others have tracked, uh, we saw 30 million golfers, you know, at least reported and defined as anybody who played one round. Mm-hmm. Now we're sitting at around 24 to 26, and I think that 30 million figure was really unfair because it included a lot of people that were just going out there and giving it a shot and never really came back. My fear is that if we see that kind of a bump now, what are we doing as an industry to, to try to, to capture and retain these people? John Last is our guest, uh, founder and president of the New York-based Sports and Leisure Research Group uh, survey uh, in a piece for Morning Read that recently appeared. Um, what what are some of the other key things, I guess, as you're seeing this extend now through the end of summer, we're getting into fall. What are some of the useful data points that you're able to report back to operators in terms of things that they might have started doing differently because they were forced to due to the situation that could continue that players have found themselves enjoying? Well, certainly for those, you know, who, who already have the bug, it, it's a lot of the same. But for, again, concentrating on some of these folks that have amped up their play, it really comes back to providing an experience that provides not only enjoyment and satisfies some of the factors that we talked about before, but a lot of what our research has been showing is that today wisdom, certainty, and trust are really in short supply, and Americans in general don't believe that others are being as diligent in adherence to safety protocols, and the golf industry has really done a good job of communicating and demonstrating that. So, you know, in the absence of clear guidance, people's confidence is really tied to an ability to control the the health risk of an experience. So I think those safety protocols that have become very evident with the Back to Golf initiative and that a number of of PGA professionals have provided are going to go a long way. Um, I think that plus some of the standards of providing this welcoming and unintimidating experience are also going to be critical uh, to retaining these folks, at least in the short to medium term. 
it's been a real challenge for food and beverage, and I don't know if any of your research has, has uh, delved into that or, or uh, measured any of that impact. Uh, golf is a social uh, recreational activity, and food and beverage being hit so hard, uh, is, that, is it important to get people back into that social environment to sustain uh, this growth? I, I believe so. Um, one of the really telling statistics that literally we've been tracking, I've been tracking going back to my days before my own firm, is just the way that golfers or people who are playing the game see it as this oasis from all the chaos that's out there. Mm-hmm. And that sentiment has really increased during the pandemic. Clearly a part of that is providing that social experience. It's filling those voids uh, that now exist in terms of food and beverage and other opportunities to congregate. So. I think that, you know, certainly, at least in, in certain regions of the country, we've seen people, uh, operators manage that well. And, and the more that we can do that, the more that the golf experience becomes more inclusive of just obviously the, the merits of the game itself, but all those other aspects of sociability that, that come with it. I mean, the average golfer clearly is playing for social reasons, something that a lot of us in the industry tend to overlook sometimes because mm-hmm. we tend to be a little bit more competitive. Mm-hmm. John, last here, our guests will wrap up. Uh, what? So this initial survey was done. It's part of the back-to-normal barometers that you're doing in, in several different uh, industries. What's the next piece or is, in terms of specifically of golf? Is it the same survey, you know, two months, three months from now? Or what's the next set of data that you're looking for uh, to grow from what you already have done the research in? We're actually uh, conducting the research every other week, and we have done so since the end of March. So, so we continue to build on this data, trend it, and aggregate it. So we're actually going back out in the field with our next wave literally uh, Monday night. And uh, not, while there are certain standard questions that we continue to measure, we do change it up a bit, obviously, to reflect, reflect certain key issues and, and certain key demands from the marketplace. I, I think our focus going forward is really going to be to try to delve in a little bit more into trying to solve for that sustainability question. I think we need to understand that. We need to understand the recipe to keep that sustainability to the benefit of the industry. Well, we certainly appreciate the conversation. Uh, Glad we caught up with you, and we look forward to uh, checking back in with you down the road to see uh, what the the rest of your research or the continuation of your research uh, discovers. Great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. John Last, uh, president, founder of the Sports and Leisure Research Group out there in New York. Again, uh, we found this uh, initial survey on Morning Read, uh, morningread.com. Uh, scroll down the news and opinion uh, tab. You won't have to go far. What's driving golf's 2020 surge? Interesting information and uh, certainly something that uh, will be interesting to continue to see. They're doing research. I know the PGA of America and the USGA also doing their own internal research to try and figure out uh, how to keep. You had a, uh, a captive audience there when there was very little to do for a time being. Golf was able to get them back out and very quickly organize, as he said, provide a safe environment. Here's what we're doing. Here's what you can do. Here's what we don't have access to. This is why if you all come out and do this and go by the rules, everybody can enjoy some more golf. That message got received very well. People took advantage of it. Now, how does it translate as more options for recreation and leisure come back, keep them coming to the golf course? Well, this will really test the uh, – the resolve of the PGA of America. How do you sustain growth? And we had some growth before the pandemic. So uh, it's about a 2 to 3% growth uh, in the game. Uh, go- youth golf uh, just boomed. Um, women in golf has increased, uh, you know, double what it was back in 08. So we've made some strides, but as you say, the pandemic produced a, an environment that we didn't expect. Uh, and as soon as we heard that it was safe to be on a golf course, people ran out to the golf courses. Now, I think the PGA of America has to look at this and say, how do we sustain this growth and how do we market ourselves to keep, this, to keep new players and engaged players playing the game and that's going to be a real challenge and it will take some 
really good leadership at the top levels of the PGA. Well, we're going to talk to uh, one of those industry leaders that has been doing it from the USGA side for a number of decades uh, in terms of keeping those courses playable uh, and uh, looking good, playing well. As uh, Larry Gilhooley going to join us next as we make the turn here. It's Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. 8.33 here this morning. Jason Swigard and Harold Bluestein with you. Thanks again to John Last for uh, taking a few minutes for us. Following us, of course, it's uh, Center and Saint. And then we've got NBA playoff basketball for you this afternoon. A 3 o'clock game four between the Celtics and Raptors. Uh, that's how things line up for you here today on The Fan. But joining us now, uh, one of the uh, most recognizable figures in the Pacific Northwest in the game for nearly four decades. He joined the USGA Green Section in 1983, Director of Agronomy for the West Region, uh, serving seven states and four Canadian provinces. Uh, he officially retired not long ago, but uh, has uh, started his own consulting firm, helping out uh, courses as well. Very pleased to have joining us this morning, Larry Gilhooley. Good morning, Larry. How are you? It's fine. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you taking some time for us. Uh, I think uh, with all of the play that's gone on, the number of rounds that we've been discussing this morning uh, that have been played on courses in the Pacific Northwest uh, due to the COVID pandemic, as well as the fantastic weather we've had uh, this spring and summer. Uh, the question is, how are the courses holding up? And, and as you are consulting, uh, what are you finding are some of the uh, key issues uh, the clubs in the area are dealing with this season? Well, I, I'm a member here at Canterwood up in Gig Harbor, and our course is holding up fine. Uh, and all the courses I know are getting a lot of play. Uh, I assume they're all doing great, but one of the things that uh, uh, I really have focused on in my retirement is trying to get people to understand to move forward uh, on golf courses and play at proper distances. But with the COVID happening, um, I haven't gone to a lot of golf courses this year. I've talked to a lot of people, but really haven't. But from what I've talked to the folks in the industry, the year's going great, uh, the weather's great, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get through the year, and then the winter will be fine, and uh, there'll be more people playing from the proper distance. So we, this is a passion of mine, has been for a long time. We all uh, remember uh, was Barney Adams, what was uh, from the Adams Company, started uh, this a long time ago, uh, saying people are, are just not playing from the correct tees, uh, and the USGA has done some research, and you have personally. Can you share with us what that research has found? Absolutely, Harold. Um, the research that, that uh, I used and utilized was, uh, came from the USGA and PGA. is a combination, and one of our uh, green section guys down in Georgia put together a wonderful uh, graph, and it basically shows that you know the average female is a 25 handicap, the average male is a 14 handicap. Their distances with a driver and swing speeds, uh, the average woman has a swing speed of 60 miles an hour, hits a driver 140 yards. The average male has a 14 handicap with a swing speed of 81 to 90 and hits a 210. So they also did not just the drivers all the way down to the wedges. In the wedges, the average female hits 60 yards, the average male hits 100. And he came up with a graph, and, and it's just an outstanding display of, of basic data and shows uh, pretty good information that uh, par fives uh, for females, should, uh, they should not be playing over 380. Uh, for the guys, they should not be over 590. Uh, for the women on par fours, 260 is the maximum, and the guys is 400. And then on par threes, 140 uh, for the females and 210 for the guys. So as I go around to visit golf courses, um, virtually every golf course, although it is changing, uh, the forward tees are way too long, uh, excruciatingly long. And a lot of the guys are playing tees that are they're too far back for their distance, especially the senior guys, because I'm included in this comment. We've all lose, we're all losing swing speed as we get older, and we need to move forward. And it'll make the game more fun, make it faster, and it's uh, – keep players in the game, which I think is very important, and drawing new players at the same time. Well, the unfortunate situation is that a lot of players think that when they pay their green fee, they bought real estate. And uh, so they move back as far as they can 
to challenge themselves? How do we convince them, beside data, how do we convince them to move forward and enjoy the game? I mean, it's a real challenge. Uh, it, it is a challenge, Harold, and, and that's one of the things that I'm doing and was going to do a lot of this year until the COVID shut us down. But uh, I was going to golf courses, and I give presentations to the memberships, and I've done a few of them late last year. I did a lot of them with the USGA. And there's a with this data, uh, there are people that are absolutely would not consider moving back. Once the data is shown, uh, it starts happening. And, and really, Harold, what I noticed in the Pacific Northwest is a slow but very distinct movement of players, mostly senior guys uh, that are losing distance, are, are starting to move forward. The younger generation has not done that yet. They will eventually. Um, it's, to me, it's a patience issue. And when these forward tees are put in, and when the players move to them, and they eventually do, you'll see the senior men move from what might be 6,000 yards up to 55, 54, which is where they should be playing from. And then progressively you'll see other players start to move. The younger players is difficult. I don't know how to handle that particular uh, problem. Uh, there is obviously some ego involved. Mm -hmm. But I, I, found, I found here at, at my home course that uh, you get one or two players that start moving forward a little bit, and all of a sudden – everybody and so my my personal story here at our course we have what are called green tees which are the old forward tees and i had friends that said i'll never play the the quote unquote you know, the <laughs> improper ladies tees right and they do that now in the winter and now some of them are doing it in the summer because they want to have fun and that's that's what i'm seeing as a, as a direction it's slow but you got to be patient Larry Gilhuli is our guest, uh, long-time agronomist uh, for the West region of the uh, USGA, now uh, doing his own consulting. And you talk about that younger generation. Uh, you know, obviously, we're seeing, you know, what we've seen starting with Tiger and modeling after the professional uh, tours. What we see is many more athletes coming out so people that were playing other sports but it's more of a fitness related the strength is there they have the capacity to hit drives uh 250 275 280 but not necessarily the skill they end up going sideways and it takes a long time uh, how yeah. are you planning to bridge that gap that it's not just the ability to smack it you know as far as you can but the ability to play the course and keep it in the fairway yeah, we have uh, quite a few here that hit it way beyond 280. Uh, they can they can hit it straight, but then there's the sideways ones, and there are some safety concerns. Honestly, right now, as you look at the game, the vast majority of people are older people, um, and it's in, it's but there are younger people coming in. What I try to get people to focus on is what is your average handicap at your club, and try to get people to understand that that the course should be set up for the average players, and then when you have tournaments, speed up the greens and do all that other stuff. There's a lot of components involved with golf that slow down play, and distance is just one of, of several. But the, the average players that are five handicap or less compose an extremely small percentage of virtually every golf course you go to, but they're the most vocal. And sometimes courses uh, cave into that and set their courses up way too difficult for those, those people. I have gone to courses where they've taken out back tees. They've just completely taken them out. They're just not being used. And so that will physically force players to move up. There will be a small percentage that would still want to play those, but they'll play these uh, the next set of tees up. Instead of 7,100 yards, maybe it'd be 6,800. Um, I wish there was some magic formula for uh, this small percentage of players um, that hit it long and, and wild. Uh, would see the light and move forward. I have played with players that uh, absolutely uh, don't want to go back, even though they have the length, because they want to have fun. And that's really what we need to focus on in the game is is fun. Competition, no question, but it, it's a fun sport, um, and you got to just know your capabilities. And, Harold, I see it all the time, uh, players playing further back than they should. Uh, and. Uh, that's the goal is to try to get everybody to understand that, hey, try it, just move forward. So one of the things that was done, Woodburn Estates down in your uh, neck of the woods, mm -hmm. they did a, um, they set up a whole set of forward tees and, and to introduce it, the golf pro 
um, introduced the idea of a what he called the swing. I called it the swing speed invitational. He called it the swing speed shuffle. But it, you had to do a swing speed analysis. And once you had your swing speed done with a driver, then you had to play in that day, that tournament, the tees associated with your swing speed. And his response was, you know, it's not 100%, but it was overwhelmingly positive. And the players had to play that day. Once they're introduced to it, there'll be a certain percentage that'll say, you know, that was fun. I think I'll do that again. And it just slowly opens up the idea of, hey, you can play this from all these different sets of tees. And, and one of my focuses on forward tees is obviously those players with slower swing speeds, which is kids, um, females, and aging adult uh, males, is trying to get them to understand that if you don't have a set of forward tees and you can't hit it very far, your, your tees you're playing right now, you have no chance. And so guys that have distance or anybody has distance can play every tee on that golf course. Those with no distance that are playing the tee that's already too long, they have no choice. Well, you're going to run people away from the game. That makes no sense to me. So the forward tees have really helped, and, and that's what I promote. And when I go to golf courses, that what I, that's what I really focus on now. Yeah, I just got tired of hitting hybrids into every par four. It just and so I, I started in the winter time saying, okay, I'm going to move, and I'm at a Royal Oaks Country Club. I'm going to move from the squirrels, which are the blue tees, uh, up one set of tees in the winter, and then in the summer move back. And now I'm one more set forward. Uh, I think that's a good way to adjust. I just. I just like I prefer hitting uh, seven, eight, nine irons into a, a par four than I do a three or four hybrid. Uh, it just it wears you out otherwise. You, Larry, Harold, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say same thing here, Harold. In the winter at Canterwood, I play the white tees. Now, yeah. there's there's friends of mine that are all good players, scratch players, and and they they some of them that. Uh, they, they're stupid and they ridicule me. <laughs> Others they're starting to understand that, you know, in the winter in the Pacific Northwest, I know Royal Oaks is a great course and it's dry and the ball may roll. Up here, when it gets wet, um, the ball doesn't roll. And, if, and for every 10 degrees, I think it's under 60 degrees, you lose three yards of distance. So you're out there playing when it's 40 degrees, you're hitting an extra club to begin with. Then you're getting no roll. There's two more clubs. And our white tees at 6,000 yards are about equivalent to our 6,350 from the blues in the, in the summer. So why not play the whites? Right. Larry, uh, Larry Gahuli, uh, unfortunately we're out of time, but we appreciate you so much uh, for taking some time for us. We'd love to catch up with you uh, again down the road as we uh, continue to uh, educate uh, the population out there at golf and uh, get them, get them playing from the right tees. And uh, yeah, you do. You want to give yourself opportunities to score. I think if you put it in that frame of mind, uh, we'll all be a lot better in, in getting people to understand uh, it's not everything doesn't have to be the U.S. Open out there. <laughs> and real, real, and real quickly, three letters: fun. F-U-N. Exactly. For, forward use now. That's what you need to do. Forward use now. We will remember that, Larry Gahuli. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, we we hope uh, things start easing up. You can get back to uh, some of those projects you were hoping to do this summer. Hope so too. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thank you, Larry Gilhooley, uh, West Regional agronomist for so many years, uh, working with the USGA, now doing consulting on his own. Yeah, I'd like to have Larry back on in the future and talk more about this, not just the forward tees, but he does, he assesses golf courses to make them more playable for the average player. Uh, he said that not every golf course, and you did too, uh, should be set up as a U.S. Open uh, you do that once a year, that's plenty. But most of the time, golf courses should be set up uh, challenging but user-friendly. There's some ridiculous things that we have at every golf course where you say, you know, why is that tree there or that bunker yeah. there? It's just it's not a challenge. It's just uh, it makes it more difficult for the average player to enjoy his round. We will uh, we'll come back. Some final thoughts on the Tour Championship, what we expect to see here. Uh, three more rounds to go. They're just getting going out there at Eastlake. And uh, the PGA Tour, uh, hoping to have some fans back sooner than later. Is that a good thing? We wrap things up. Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. 
Which new driver is best for your game? Who makes the best golf gear? Where should you take your next golf vacation? Which local course should you get to know better? This is the business of golf every week on Golf in the Northwest on 1080 The Fan. Well, there's going to be plenty of business on the PGA Tour for the next year. The 2020-2021 schedule was released earlier in the week. There will be 50 official FedEx Cup tournaments. Uh, There's 14 tournaments that were postponed or canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. There will be six majors being played uh, over the next span. Uh, The Masters twice, the U.S. Open twice. And uh, it's going to be, it's basically other than between Thanksgiving and the new year, that's really the only break. There's a week break for the Olympics, but that's pretty much it. And so it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, there's a pretty good field next week for the Safeway. Jordan Spieth is in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Phil Mickelson is playing. Uh, you have a fair amount of uh, major champions uh, playing as long as uh, as well as a lot of the the guys that didn't make the tour championship that are trying to build up some points. So it'll be a good field. That was something we saw in the restart because guys hadn't been playing for four months. So we saw all the big names kind of together. I think once we kind of get past this, uh, the tour championship, the guys that are pretty secure, they're going to need a rest. So I don't plan on seeing that. They might play one or two events at a course they particularly like or if something's close to where they reside in the offseason. And then it'll pick back up. But it's 50 events. I know some of it has to do with postponements and rescheduling, but that seems like it's way too much. Well, I don't know what else they do. It's the most... uh Events they've had uh, since I the mid seventies. Yes, mid seventies. There were fifty-one events, and here we've got fifty. With the compression of the schedule, uh, there's a certain excitement or uh, a a feeling that players there's an immediacy. They got we got to get out and play because we we haven't played. But I think that's wearing off a little bit. I think you're going to see the guys take next week off before the U.S. Open to rest a little bit. Uh, I think they'll be more selective going forward. Uh, it may be possible that we have, for the first time in the history of the game and probably never happen again, we could have a two-time Masters champion who won twice, won the Masters yeah. uh, twice in one year or a U.S. Open winning it twice in one year. That would be remarkable. I think we're looking at a really good weekend here. Uh, it, and this First round was yesterday, so we've got three more rounds, uh, and anything can happen uh, at the Stewart Championship. I've been looking at the guys who are further down the road. Um, someone like uh, uh, Adam Answer, who started out uh, way down the field at one under, nine shots behind Dustin Johnson, and he looks up and he's only six. Well, with three rounds left, six shots can be made up. Uh, to to come from that far behind would be really something. And Abraham answer is if he plays solid again today, he's maybe within two or three shots. Yeah, answer uh, is a guy that early in the uh, restart was constantly at the top of leaderboards. His issue was putting. He was giving himself all sorts of look. One of the more accurate uh, drivers of the golf ball and fairways hit his issue was on the greens making the putts when he needed to make them in order to to put the score up there but he's been in contention a lot uh, Rory McIlroy has the uh, new fatherhood bump apparently that's a thing now like guys in their first tournaments after having their family has children they go out and go cuckoo for cocoa puffs bananas which so he did. you're thinking about Having, so, having children so that uh, you no, can no, no, improve no. your golf? No, that, yeah. that's long gone. That was that was medically fixed <laughs> several years ago. As Gross. well as your golf swing. We're medically fixing that. <laughs> We're trying to fix that. Uh, the guy I'm looking out for, though, is Justin Thomas. Uh, he had a 66 there, uh, had some other looks. Uh, both Dustin Johnson and John Rahm, uh, could not put the ball in the fairway regularly. The fact that they were able to score as well as they did was a, uh, a tremendous shout-out to their short games uh, Absolutely. and their ability to sink long putts. But I think Justin Thomas 
Uh, he is one who, when he's not a guy I want close behind me because he will get you in his sights and he goes into a mode, a birdie making mode that few guys on the tour right now can do at his pace. Absolutely. If he'd have made a couple more putts yesterday, he'd be right up there in the lead. Uh, it didn't start too far behind three behind, and that was pretty easy to make up. Uh, and and move up pretty close. Now he's within two. Uh, you're talking about Justin Thomas. Right? Yeah. I, I was reading an article on the five common traits among the uh, 13 FedEx champions in the past. And one thing that um, they are disproving, uh, and this article said that you've got to hit hit fairways and hit greens and you've got to, you can win this thing. Um, well, Dustin Johnson and John Rahm are not hitting fairways. Um, they are managing to hit a number of greens. Uh, Johnson is uh, 12 of 18. Uh, John Rahm, uh, 14 of 18. But the point of this article is uh, putting doesn't matter. Well, I can tell you that I don't know of a golf tournament on yeah. the planet where putting doesn't matter. It it will matter here. And John Rahm proved it yesterday, making 128 feet of putts. Yeah, the, the question is, can they keep that up for four rounds? Uh, I don't know that that's uh, something you can bank on. Coverage all day today, starting at 10, is on Golf Channel. Uh, NBC, of course, today has uh, the Kentucky Derby coverage. Uh, but then you can pick it up Sunday and Monday on NBC for the uh, third and fourth rounds. Thanks again to all of our guests, John Last of the Sports and Leisure uh, Research Group and uh, Larry Gilhooley uh, for joining us. Big shout out to Ruth who yeah. sent uh, Harold fan mail. And uh, so, Ruth, we thank you for listening, and we uh, very much appreciate uh, your thoughts. So, uh it's nice to know it's that nice people know. are yeah, yeah, somebody got up and listened to us. They're getting some out of it. Uh, yeah. Sinner and Saint is up next. I will be off uh, next Saturday. I don't know who's going to be sitting in this chair. We'll have to talk to Luke. Uh, I'm playing in an event out at uh, Agate Beach on the coach uh, coast. Yep. And uh, we'll see if I can get to get my game in shape between now and then. Yeah, I have a good time out there. I know it'll, it's always fun to get together with old friends and play a nice round of golf. You bet. Uh, thanks, as always, uh, to Will, our producer, for Harold. I'm Jason. Him straight. Suck moisture out of the greens. I'm a super senior. Now, how would I adjust? Well, I've got to choke down on my club a little bit. The ladies are getting creamed. Ha <laughs> ha, you know how easy I am. Yeah, uh, I know. Fiji's <laughs> in Europe. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.